welcome to the uh, Silicon in UK Focus podcast. Silicon UK is the leading source of IT news, analysts, features, and interviews on key industry topics. I'm your host, Dave Hull. In this week's podcast, we focus on a recently published report from uh, Thomas International, Mind the Trust Gap, that reveals that 85% of UK businesses need to critically improve recruitment processes, with an amazing 70% saying they need to improve the way they assess the value and skills of people they bring into their businesses. Well, today I'm delighted to be joined by their CEO, Sabi Gill. Uh, welcome, Sabi. David, thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time to, to speak to us today. I think, first of all, it would probably be a good idea for, for our listeners to get an idea of, uh, I, I guess, uh, who, who Thomas uh, International is. So could you give us a, sort of a bit of a background on the company? Yeah, so look, it's great being here, first of all, especially this year, uh, more than any other year. This year, we actually celebrate our 40-year anniversary. So we were founded in 1981. The role of Thomas International is really about what we refer to as transforming the performance of organizations or in, and individuals around the world through really trying to make smarter people decisions, right? And looking beyond, as we say, just skills and experience or what the CV would normally tell you, and really trying to identify the true potential and capability of individuals and people. So through talent assessment platform that Thomas provides, we combine technology, psychology, and data to make the complex nature of things like human behavior, aptitude, personality, so much easier for everyone to understand. Today, we have 11,000 companies across 140 countries really trying to use Thomas assessments to unleash the power of their people. Thanks for that, Sabi. I, I thought it was a, a thanks for the overview of the uh, the company. What I also like to sort of kick these things off with is an idea of the uh, the people I sort of speak to. What were you doing before, and um, what sort of brought you to the company? Prior to this, I've, you know, my entire career has always been spent in software, right? Software technology, okay, in, yeah, in multiple different forms. So, you know, many many years ago, I started my career in a company that no longer exists, but has been sort of acquired multiple times Digital Equipment Corporation, then came into my first round of software working for PeopleSoft, went in multiple organizations, Oracle, HP, in their software business, Epicor, most recently prior to this at Sage. So always in global senior international roles, always very much customer focus and sales focus, managing director roles, international. So good track record of understanding cultural differences, global differences, customer, different industry verticals. You know, one stage, I even came out of software and went into the gaming industry for three or four years. So, oh, yeah. Um, right. yeah, yeah. so really been trying to use and leverage all of that various experience in the role I'm in now. So been with Thomas for 10 months now, joined in October of 2020. The thing that really brought me here was every role I've had up to now has always been a big corporate cultural transformational role. It's, it's been in multiple instances selling software. Now I'm in an organization for Thomas where actually we make a difference. We actually can change people's lives because so much around individuals and looking beyond the CV, a lot of organizations and you know hiring managers tend to make decisions based on experience and skill whereas what i really do believe and you know i'm a, a great case study for this 
is if you look beyond the qualifications, you look beyond the last experience that people have and look at the behavior, the aptitude, the personality, the emotional intelligence, all of the things a CV doesn't tell you about an individual, those to me are more important. And that's what we do at Thomas with our assessments in all of those areas I've just talked about. We look beyond the CV. We can help individuals that maybe don't have the experience, but have the can-do attitude, have the behavior, have the skills, have a cultural fit, all of those things that organizations look for, we can help bring out in an individual. I think the report that you published recently, there's quite a few things in there which kind of stand out, really. But you called it Mind the Trust Gap. Is that a play on Mind the Skills Gap? Is, is trust now kind of a central tenant when recruiters are looking for someone that's the right fit? Or are you flipping that around and saying, well, actually, when we talk about trust, you're, you're really talking to a recruit who's trusting a company to, I guess, nurture themselves and uh, understand what their skills are and their personality and move them forward? Or is it a kind of combination of both? It's actually a combination of both because what you have to do is the HR department, it's a line manager department and it's a recruitment department, right? What you're really trying to do is reduce the gap between all of those different groups coming together because they're all looking at recruitment from a slightly different perspective. So when you think about what recruiters are really out there to do, they're there to find you the best candidate. They go about and do the same processes that they've probably done for many, many years, right? Even track records, which is let's look at CVs, let's post a job advertisement, let's look at all of the different aspects that we need in order to hire an individual. Managers are looking for the recruitment department to really do that and they have the skills to go after it. But the gap is really about what does good look like? When people actually go about recruiting individuals, you know, our survey had shown how almost 50% of people that have been hired over this last year have really not worked out for the business. The report talked about how 86% of respondents talked about differentiating between candidates is the most commonly experienced challenge beyond remote hiring. So when we talk about bridging the gap, this is what we're talking about. How do you get to a point where half of your hires are working for your business, not working for your business, right? How do you make sure that you can differentiate your respondents and your clients and all of the candidates that are applying for your roles? So that's really what we mean by how do you bridge that gap? How do you bridge the gap of ensuring that the people that you're trying to hire are the best fit for your organization, not necessarily the best skilled? Yes, and I'm seeing more and more of that, that are sort of, I guess the old-fashioned sort of brute force approach is we have a skill set that we need, we write a job description, and then we look for people that match the skill set. Do you have those skills? Do you have that knowledge? If you do, then you're on the list. What I found fascinating was just over a third of uh, the people that responded were talking about personality as the top of the list, whereas CV and even qualifications was, you know, well below 20%. So it, it seems to me that there's a, I don't know, is it a cultural shift? Is it a, a shift of mindset? Is the idea of a personality fit literally more important than it was just a few years ago? David, I think it's absolutely the right question. I personally believe it's a mind shift, right, of really getting people to understand that individuals, you know, if there's anything that's shown it over the last 18 months with the pandemic, 
is looking beyond the individual. You're probably finding that even in the movement and change in technology and roles and what people are looking for and the skills gap that you referred to earlier, if you think about the skills gap, we have got a lot of roles that will exist in the future that today's workforce will have to be proficient in. Most of those roles don't even exist today. If you think about a lot of roles that we have today that didn't exist even five to 10 years ago, data scientists, the amount of information that we have around predictive analytics, psychometrics, psychology, so many more roles and responsibilities. And that really comes about because technology is now playing a greater part in relation to how we go about doing our jobs, right? We talk about machine learning, we talk about AI, we talk about all of these different generation changes through technology and technology adoption. That also means that the skills that people have on their CVs could potentially not be the skills that are required for the future. So what you need to be able to do is absolutely look beyond that and say, okay, forget about the skills. If I need a data scientist, what do I need? I need somebody with high levels of potentially aptitude. I need numeracy. I need a slightly different individual. I mean, maybe need somebody who accepts ambiguity because I don't need somebody who's a perfectionist when I'm maybe hiring somebody in an innovation department or in business development. I find that amazing because I hadn't come across that phrase, you know, predictive hiring. But then when you think about that, obviously I'll come across predictive analytics and that's sort of, you know, big at the moment. Can a business look into the future using that kind of, of technology? That's an amazingly transformative exercise if you then apply that to recruitment, isn't it? Because you're right. So you say, well, really, recruitment up until today, it's kind of backward facing, isn't it? It's looking at what the business is doing, maybe what it's doing at the moment, and we need to fill a, a skill at the moment. We need to find someone to help us to do this. What's really powerful is looking into the future and say, okay, what's your business going to be doing in five years' time? Are you going to have the skills and the people that can help you to thrive in that environment. That seems to me to be a massively transformative move in recruitment because then you can look into the future. And it is. And if you actually look at the number of organizations that sort of describes most of recruitment plans for 2021 and beyond, right? There's, I think it was 56% of organizations say that they plan to increase recruitment activity significantly over the next you know, year or so as the pandemic sort of subsides or sort of reduces, it's always gonna be here, you know, COVID's not gonna go away, but it will reduce it. But the amount of businesses who turn around and say that they will be using some element of application tracking, predictive hiring, psychometric testing in solutions over the next 24 months, because they've seen exactly what you've just referred to, which is if I can work out the individuals I'm hiring today, if they can be, flexible, if they have the right prowess to sort of move with me as I transform my organization into the future, other individuals that can adopt change, that can be adaptable, that can pick up new skills, or are they the individuals that will always be in the same role, aren't open to change? When we think about business transformation and you think about change management, the number one thing that most organizations always forget about is the impact on the person and the people, because some individuals are not able to make that change and transformation because they don't necessarily have the right 
behavioral skills and the right change management and all of those different components. That's not about their skills in a CV and how many qualifications they've got. This is all about everything else that the CV doesn't tell you about the individual. And that's what we believe here at Thomas that we do so well. Once you understand the person, the individual, then you will have so much more opportunity. I think we've seen that clearly through the pandemic, the move to sort of mass remote working. You know, suddenly people were you know, working from home, giving tools that they they never seen before. And in a lot of cases, they were drowning in new tools and new technology. And that's kind of not a way to really work, run your business. Um, certainly not if you're going to thrive sort of in a post-COVID environment. But kind of moving forward... That doesn't mean to say that we sweep away an entire generation of existing employees. I think what you're saying is that it's having an understanding of who these people are, what skill sets they do have, can they be improved? But the foundation and the really interesting stuff is when we start to talk about, um, well, I, I, most people tend to call it sort of soft skills, which I, I think is a, it, it's, it's kind of a misnomer. It's, really, it's more human skills, which is, I, I prefer that term than soft skills. The whole idea of emotional intelligence and uh, you know, being able to, to uh, empathise with other people, etc. That you know, Those kinds of things often aren't in the same equation with maybe a technical skill. But really, they ought to be because the two are not mutually exclusive, are they? Correct. And and if you look at the difference that most people end up looking at, right, even with technology changes and all of the adaption of emotional intelligence and behaviors, skills is one component. What skills tells you is that it's almost like turning around and saying, hey, you know, based on my experience, I'm a good salesperson and I've met targets and those sort of things previously. And maybe you've been working in an environment that allows you to be able to perform extremely well and hit targets every single year. What you don't know about that individual is how do they behave if all of a sudden they're thrown in a global pandemic and now they're being asked to sell and to hit targets? How are they going to be able to behave, cope, right? We, if we've seen anything over the last 18 months, mental agility, right? work-life balance, mental health, all of those different aspects have all of a sudden become top of mind for HR departments. So if you can understand, that's got nothing to do with skills. That's all to do with the individual, the person, the behavior, right? All of those things, don't want to use the same word as soft skills, but it's almost everything else about the individual which becomes even more important than anything else that you could ever have experienced. Well, when when, when someone comes to you and, uh, and says, Sabi, um, I'm looking to make a change and it's going to be in sort of a technical role, what on earth should I be studying you know, to upgrade my, my skills? <laughs> That's kind of, is that an unanswerable question? Because if the focus is shifting to human skills, having that conversation with uh, with someone that wants to, I guess, future-proof their career. What should I be learning today? You know, if, if, I, if I'm going to spend the money and, uh, and, and, and learn some, some new technical skills, what should they be? H- how do you react to that? Because the, the marketplace and what businesses are sort of focused on seems to be not moving away from technical skills. You know, you still need programmers and all the rest of it. But the focus seems to have shifted slightly. And if it has shifted... How do you kind of react to that when you're advising people? What technical skills should you be studying? It's a great question um, because technology is shifting. Right? It wasn't that long ago before we were talking about the third technical revolution. Now we're talking about the fourth and people are already, people are already talking about the fifth. So 
the time frame the time frame between each of these different evolutions is getting smaller and smaller and smaller so it's not going to be long before we start talking about the sixth and you know you see how much things like you know technical devices 5g networks everything being connected to everything predictive analytics becoming so more important and data doubling and tripling right within almost a 9 to 12 month period and the amount of data that we store and hold and everything else so when you think about all of those components if somebody came to me today and said hey look i'm thinking about moving into technology what shall i do to me it's going to be a case of look understand at least you, you you need to have the basics right so if you wanted to become an engineer you got to understand programming you got to understand logic you got to understand all of those different languages and everything else and then determine what is the right area of expertise that you want to move into you've got to enjoy what you do so don't go into technology just because hey it's the fastest growing thing it's like do i enjoy technology do i love playing with it you look at most programmers right developers they love what they do at night they go and do it again right and when they get home and they start doing on their own little projects and you know they just love playing and tinkering and and doing those sort of things that to me is the most important well, guess what? That that's a human skill again, isn't it? That's that's that we've swung all the way back to the initial conversation, and that's a human skill, isn't it? That's that's having the interest, yes. the passion. That's got nothing to do with technical knowledge. That's 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 a human side. That's a human approach to a technical job or whatever they're doing. That's where the focus is. All the other stuff like learning Python or whatever, that's later. That that comes later. If you you know if you uh, enjoy um, you know fiddling with uh, with with servers in in a server farm somewhere, um, that's absolutely fine. And the technical skills there, but you know you're still going to have to have the the passion to to do that. And when HRs are looking for people to fill these roles. That's where the focus is, isn't it? It's almost, it's almost. They look at the CV and go, "Yep, you can, you can do Python." That's a tick box, and it's then almost forgot, forgotten. And the focus then shifts elsewhere to looking at the more human side. Will you fit into the team? Are you a good fit for you know what we're going to be doing in the next two or three years? You know those kind of conversations. I find that fascinating. That in a technical job, kind of the technical stuff isn't that important. Well, yeah, and I think what you'll find is that more and more people are using even <laughs> assessment software for the for those what i refer to as even hard skills right yeah that, well, in fact i was gonna ask you that yeah i mean the other thing that popped off for me nearly half would look at, at uh, psychometric testing now i'm sure a few years ago those kind of tests kind of didn't really hold water and they weren't really favored by hr i believe but guess what all of a sudden they are they've come into the fore as well, I guess when a HR is thinking, well, how on earth can we test this? How can we look at proficiency? Guess what? Good old psychometric testing. Been around for decades. Now, it's suddenly on the top of the agenda or top of the tool set for, for a HR, whereas five years ago, it probably wasn't. Correct. And I think a couple of different reasons, right? One is, I think, the pandemic, mental health, well-being, understanding individuals beyond what their skill set is and what the CV tells them, I think, is one element of it. I think the other key element of it is this whole transformation and changing of the role, right? The role in most organizations that you probably had three or four years ago has evolved. Even if you, know, you look at something as basic as you know accounting or invoicing or any of that stuff, accounts payable, accounts receivable has totally evolved, right? Everything is electronic. Everything is automatically matched. What do these individuals need to do? They need to be able to now all of a sudden go about doing more value added roles within their department that they were working in and maybe it's more around 
hey, vendor negotiation, what does the data tell us? How well can we go off and actually renegotiate some of the existing contracts because the data is now telling us that we have the ability to you know, hire um, or buy more at a lower price. And if you consolidate all of these different things, oh, by the way, we're using three vendors for the same thing, we can consolidate to one and have more of a strategic relationship. So there's more value-added services and, and information that is now available coming out. And, and for that, you don't need somebody with years of experience on accounts payable. What you need is somebody who's got a, you know, a different type of, of aptitude, ambiguity, acceptance, all of these different elements, maybe a bit more empathetic to the roles that they're in. And that's the reason why this plays such a more important part than it probably did you know, a couple of years ago. Pandemics made a difference. Mental health has made a difference. The skills change. Technology adoption is changing, you know, has made a difference. Also, the thing we shouldn't forget is compared to pre-COVID and where we are today, there's probably 10 or 15 times as many people applying for roles than they were pre-pandemic, right? Because a lot of those roles are no, either no longer exist. They have transformed into something else. We should also look at the fact that the pandemic has caused a large majority of job losses as well. So all of a sudden, you've got more people applying for a role. How do you find the right person for the role? Is it the right person with the experience or is it the right person with the can-do attitude, all of those different soft skills that you really need and the customer success, right? Customer success, customer service, customer support is more apparent now than it's ever been. The lifetime value that you look after a customer and the amount of time that you have with that customer, the upsell, cross-sell, the opportunity of engaging and building strategic relationships with customers is more apparent now than it's ever been. And to me, that plays an important part of having the right people of you know, interfacing and, inter and working with customers that's a soft skill. That's not a hard skill. And how do you recognize those individuals unless you start looking beyond the CV? Keep up to date with the latest tech news and read in-depth features by subscribing to the Silicon UK newsletter. My sort of read is, I guess, businesses... They're now being driven by by their customer base. Uh, you know, the that that's been apparent for the last uh, eighteen months or so. That you know, the customers in charge. They're demanding whatever it is from the businesses they buy from, and you have to deliver that wherever that is. But it occurred to me that if you're going to try and do that, then the old-fashioned way of looking for for recruits and the the sort of linear way of of uh, you know, filling a role or or building teams isn't going to work. You have to think about, I guess how the mix is going to change and how that mix of people um, can give you the benefit. Um, and I believe it's true that a, a lot of um, HRs um, are sort of being tasked with filling certain roles, which do have maybe a technical aspect. But actually, they're looking elsewhere. They're looking for people in the arts and bringing those guys in because they just have a different perspective. Um, their, their brains are just wired differently, and that's what businesses want. We want someone that can innovate. We want someone that can help us uh, to, you know, to, to move forward um, and maybe show us an angle or something that we just simply haven't seen before because we've got the same kinds of people in these teams. You drop somebody else in who just, who just isn't from that background or has a completely different mindset, 
then interesting things can happen. And it seems to me that's that's where recruitment is going to move to, to, to deliver these kind of opportunities to, to businesses. Also, David, one of the things we haven't really touched upon, but is absolutely what you're alluding to, which is diversity and inclusion, right? If you look at DE&I, now, if you think about what you've just, ex- what you described, you've described the importance of diversity in management teams and diversity in your um, employees. Because if I, and I'll give you a perfect example, right, which I've experienced, is if I, if I had a question and I took it to the marketing department and said, tell me what we should be doing around introducing this particular product, I'd probably get, and I asked 10 people, I'd probably get 10 very like-minded answers. Now, if I took 10 people, one from product, one from development, one from sales, one from marketing, right, from different parts of the organization, and then ask the same question, the chances are the breadth of experience in that room, the diverse views, the diversity of thinking, I'd probably have a lot more of a engaging discussion, different perspectives that we'd never thought about. And to me, that that is important. That diversity of thought is the biggest challenge I think we're going to have starting to have going forward. How do you get creative ideas, creative thoughts? How do you go out to the arts and bring in individuals who can think differently about solving issues and solving problems? Everybody talks about let's think outside of the box. Yes, that phrase. It's probably the hardest <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. It's probably the hardest yeah. thing to do if you've got 10 marketing people sitting in the room because their box is marketing. That's Everything right, outside box. is, yeah, is yeah, unknown absolutely. to them. Well, that, that's happening. Uh, I, I think businesses are obviously redrawing their roadmaps completely because of COVID. You know, what's, what's our business going to look like in sort of six months' time? But it seems to me what they're realising, particularly from a recruitment perspective, if they're shaking up their businesses, I see what's happening within companies is that that's what they're doing. They're having a radical rethink about what does it mean to be an agile company post-COVID? Um, how, how does that translate into reality for, for us? It's literally doing that. It's taking the old thing about, yeah, you're a marketing guy, you're a PR, you're a tech, you're in IT. Well, guess what? That We're not having that anymore. We're having linear teams for doing certain things. We have to be done. Uh, if, you, you know, if a server breaks, it's, it's, it's the IT guys. But all the more important things, particularly the strategic stuff moving forward, they're doing that. A meeting is now, it, it does have someone from IT. It does have someone from marketing PR. It does have someone from HR. They all have a seat around the table because it seems to me that's how businesses are understanding. That's how we move forward. And that's importantly, that's how we innovate. Um, So it's not that thinking out of the box. It's kind of let's create some new boxes and make sure we have a diverse number of people in there from different aspects of the business. That's how you move forward. And then if we then layer on top of that recruitment then that's what you're going to do, aren't you? You're going to start saying, well, we had that meeting and wouldn't it be great if we had a, a different perspective on whatever came out of that meeting? We just don't have that. So go and find someone who could give us that. Uh, and that's kind of how, how sort of HR is transforming, isn't it? Agreed, agreed. And, and you know, that whole concept, of, if you think about it, whenever somebody says, think out of the box. <laughs> everyone, everyone rolls their eyes and they go, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Totally agree. And then if you, but if you think about the visual aspect of a box it's got sides to it it's structured right it means that you have to push to sort of get out of it what you what you need to do is just basically say well don't even reference a box this is nothing to do with that thinking of 
outside of our department. This is about, as you say, thinking about things differently, creating your own box, right? Making a virtual box, no boundaries, no walls, but the box itself represents the idea, the thought process. Yes. Right? Yes. The initiative the that we're yeah. trying to yeah. do, not the boundaries in which we operate. The boundaries of what you're trying to remove going forward. And do, do HRs feel, uh, I don't know, kind of lost because – in the old days, and when I say old days, I mean two years ago, they were given you know very rigid, I guess, recruitment uh, criteria. Go and find somebody that does this and has this on their CV. Now, what you just outlined is so out of focus, I guess, from a from their point of view. Um, yeah, do, do they sort of lament the fact that yeah we understand businesses want to be agile and move forward and do all, all the things we've just outlined? But from my point of view, trying to find people, I need some definition there. Um, so are, are HRs kind of not floundering, but are they kind of trying to to get a handle on what does that mean for them, and then how can they actually go out and find these people that meet that criteria? Yeah, look, I think it's probably one of the one of their biggest challenges um, is how how can you re readdress the balance of recruitment against things like skills and hard skills and soft skills, and how do I make sure I find the right person? And the more advanced, I would say, HR organizations and people who have been around for a long time know that assessments have, have existed for a very long time. But um, I, and I think, again, going back to you know, what's the gap, if you think about line managers, most line managers just turn around and say, just find me somebody who, who can do this job. Whereas HR, I think, are looking at it and sort of saying, well, I can give you somebody who's got that job. I've got two really good candidates, but what differentiates what candidate A against candidate B? The good line managers would say, but I also want somebody who's agile, who can do this, who can do this, because I'm thinking about my next move. I'm thinking about career development. I'm thinking about future projects. I need people who can adapt and bring across. And that's where HR play, I think, would love to be part of that conversation and that journey, because that's probably what excites HR people more than anything else, which is transformation, change, management, right? bringing on all of those different aspects, looking beyond the hard skills, because that's not their forte. Their forte is really understanding individuals. People, you know, They've probably got more empathy in that one department than most organizations have in the rest of their organization. So how can they take that and really use it to their advantage in ensuring that it's involved in the recruitment process? We use it to find the right person within the organization. And to me, that's where you know, if I think about my own HR department now, that's where the value that they bring to me is having those conversations and thinking beyond, hey, we could, we've got this people, we're doing this recruitment, but the skills of the person that we really need is this. What the CV does, it gets you through the door. What it doesn't do is it closes the job for you. That's where I think all of the assessments and everything else does, gets you, you know, gets you onto the long list. But what do you use to get from the long list to the short list? you know, to interview, that's where I think assessments will play a bigger part. You might need some element of screening in what I refer to as pre-screening, right? And some assessments in, in that phase that sort of says, hey, let's, you know, especially if you're thinking about um, hundreds or thousands of jobs, you want to be able to do automate that as much as you can. So you're not looking at the CV, screen as many people as you can, maybe ask them to take a smaller element of assessment, then use the assessments further up as you get further down the path, as you get to a smaller shortlist of individuals, 
then I think assessments play even bigger part in determining who do I now hire? Is it this person or this person? I guess for for HRs, there seems to be, I guess, a a couple of attitudes towards how how tech can help them or can't or can be a hindrance. This this whole idea of applying uh, machine learning to what you just outlined. For instance, if you're a large company and every single one of your vacancies gets 3,000 applicants, you cannot sift through 3,000 CVs you got with any accuracy. That's where machines come in because they're very good at that. They're very good at that. So that kind of machine recruitment at that point is very useful. But it seems to me that people have kind of had a knee-jerk reaction to how you use things like AI and machine learning when you associate that with people. They immediately think, oh, it's going to, you know, we're going to, jobs will be lost by the millions and we're all, you know, we're all going to be uh, in a terrible state because of uh, these damn machines. But actually, when you look at what they can offer, particularly for HRs, what we've just been talked about, they are very useful, aren't they? Right at the top of the funnel, you know, to find you the people that look like they might be a good fit. That's kind of where that technology comes into play. I guess what you would advocate is don't use it later on because that's where you get into trouble. That's where you need HR, I mean, and I mean human HRs, to make those kind of judgment calls, to, to speak to these people, to talk to them. And that's where the, that's when you assess the personality, isn't it? Because you've already done the technical stuff. It's how do you assess all the other stuff? And that's where HRs come into their own. So they are, they're not going to suddenly become replaced by, by an AI, are they? No, absolutely not. Under no circumstances will that ever happen, even in the recruitment process or anything else, because that personal element of understanding individuals and people, AI and machine learning, at the end of the day, all it does, it's algorithms, right? It's just looking at trends. It's looking at information. It's looking at keywords. It's, what it doesn't do is it tells you what's behind that. And that's what HR will do. Because once HR meet the individual, meet the person, right, that's when it becomes personable. And if you think about what we're doing is we're not hiring robots, we're hiring individuals. We're hiring for the future of organizations. AI machine learning has its role in ensuring that some of the, what I would say, uh, mundane tasks of shifting through, you know, if you had a thousand CVs, how do you just shift through and just make sure? And if, you know, using ATS systems, a lot of those systems already exist that can shift and do a lot of that pre-screening for you. So integration and a lot of those things are play an important part, but it will never ever take away from HR in any way, shape or form. I also wanted to, to ask you, you know, when you're reading the marketplace, if employers are, have kind of given up finding the ideal perfect person. I think it's true to say that they've kind of realized they just don't exist. Well, you might find a, a diamond, yeah, that uh, ticks all the boxes and they're, they're perfect, the personality fit, da da da. But it's probably 0.001 of a percentage point of everyone that you even look at. So is also the shift with recruitment to, to just that. We, it, it's a shift to understanding you have the basic personality, you have the basic skills. Um, then it's all about nurturing, it's all about education, it's all about how can we move you on. To, to become the person that we that we need. And more importantly, particularly with the you know, sort of the predictive stuff that we've already talked about, we kind of don't need you yet, but we might need you in about 18 months, in about two years. So can we get you in now? Can we give you the the, uh, the skill set we need? Because we're going to need that in about two years' time uh, when maybe a product comes out or we're suddenly on, uh, we're sort of driving you know, autonomous, autonomous vehicles or something. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Yeah, uh, how, how nurturing and education um, it's kind of the cornerstone these days. And what you've highlighted there is predictive, right? Predictive hiring, predictive 
analytics. So if you think about, when we think about predictive hiring, um, what we, how do you make sure that the person you're hiring is the best fit for the job today? But also, if I can identify the skill set of an individual that I need for a potential manager role or a director role or maybe a CEO role in 10 years or whatever, you're probably being able to look at all of your data points, right? And, and let's take the evolution. I hire somebody today. I know their skill set today. I know what that looks like. I know what their experience is. I know what their psychometric testing results look like. If over a three, four, five year period, they become a manager, a director, and ultimately become a CEO, I've got all of the data points at different points in time, how they've progressed through the business. If I can take all of that data, take it back to the very first stage and say, now this is what a good person looks like. And by the way, I've got three or four people who have moved to director role, they all have this certain attribute. I'm currently hiring. I found four other people in my pool who aren't necessarily fit for that job, but I know if I hold on to them and I nurture them and everything else, they could become leaders of the future for my business. So data, data analytics, using that information, predictive hiring isn't also, for me, about predicting the right hire for today. It's also about predicting the right person for the organization, that cultural fit. Well, I, I guess I'd like to, I guess, finish, really. You kind of talk in the report to that uh, sort of recruitment process is, uh, is kind of broken. Yeah. Uh, so sort of briefly, how would you fix it? From a Thomas perspective, it's easy. You know, the survey showed it. There are a number of people that we've interviewed who basically turn around and say the importance of psychometric testing and they intend to use it over the next you know, 24, 48 months. All we're trying to say is that may be too late. You need to start using it now, especially coming out of the pandemic, the amount of people and jobs are available, but it becomes such a fundamental part. Yeah, my biggest piece of advice to anybody is please find a way of looking beyond the CV, look beyond the skills, look at the individual, look at the empathy, look at the, the soft skills, if you want to call it that, be around the individuals and the person. And that's how you find and predict behavior and emotional intelligence and finding individuals that warrant a good investment based on those attributes, not necessarily that they've been really successful in sales for the last 10 years. You've been listening to a Silicon UK In Focus podcast. Keep up to date with the latest news and read in-depth features by subscribing to our newsletter. I'd like to thank Sabi for taking the time to speak to Silicon UK. It's goodbye from me, Dave Hull, and it's goodbye from Sabi. Great. Thank you very much, David. And thank you once again.